If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, and welcome to a very special CoronaCast edition of Sentimental Garbage. My name is Karen O'Donoghue, and I'm a writer, a podcaster, and an ancient antique salesman that preys on small children. Joining me is author, Corona co-host, and tentative new boyfriend to a single mother, Ella Risbridger. Hi, Ella. Hi, pal. Here we are again. I mean, I'm in my Here bedroom. We are you already know. It's it's a it's a beautiful dynamic. Um, I I'm really enjoying our CoronaCast so far. I know this is only week two, but I still think it's very special. I mean, what I like is that normally we do this walking around the park, talking about these exact books constantly and obsessively, and now other people can listen. And maybe that's nice for them, or maybe it is not. I don't <laughs> but know. But either way, they're getting for free, so they can shut up. <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about the changeover by Margaret Mayhew and... Um, What's nice so far is that we we agreed that when we were going to do this sort of Corona cast edition, that I would sort of throw my normal schedule of talking about sort of romance and chiclet um, away. And we would just talk about the books that we loved because once again, we're not getting paid for this and we might as well spend this very strange, uncertain time doing things we really, really enjoy. And what's great about um, so far is that last week we did Brother of the More Famous Jack with Barbara Trepido which is a book that you introduced me to and I am absolutely in love with. And then this is my version of that, which is The Changeover by Margaret Mayhew. I read it first when I was 14. I introduced you to it about a year and a half ago and you've been in love with it ever since too. I mean, I think, I can't believe I've only known these people for a year. I I feel very deeply about Laura Chan and about Sorensen Carlyle and about Sorensen Carlyle's mother and its grandmother I feel like I've been afraid of Carmody Brack, who's the villain in this book, for a million years. And I think that's that's the thing about a really good book is that it feels that you have always known it. You must have read this before. Yeah. Somehow I've always known about this book. And like, I think what's really nice as well is that the books that you and I tend to... Because like, actually, a lot of the time we have quite different tastes. Like, I will love books that you won't love and, and vice versa. But the books that we always converge on are the ones where, like, young women are being dragged into adulthood before they are quite ready and in a sexy way. <laughs> oh, my God. You think about it. Um, yes. Brothers of Famous Jack, The Changeover, Poisonwood Bible. Poisonwood Bible. Um, we've Always Lived in the yeah. Castle. Um, all those, like, I am a strange girl who has to become a strange woman. <laughs> That is the theme of the Corona cast. <laughs> yeah, strange girl. The theme of the Corona cast is we're all coming of age. Well, we've been talking a lot about this, Caroline and I, and also everyone else, about essentially how the Corona is making us all into teenagers again, being alone in our rooms, on the phone, yeah. eating handfuls of dry cereal out of our own palms, it's, like our own horse. It's so true. And like and the way that even our tastes are going back to teenage dumb. Like I, all I do now is listen to Annie DeFranco and Courtney Love and like the yeah, yeah, yeahs and all the sort of like riot girl music I used to listen to when I was 16. It's all coming back. Last night I listened, Caroline, last night I listened to The Smiths. Oh, wow. 
You are 15 again. We're all just stuck indoors, stuck in our rooms, mad at the man. It's great. I mean, it sucks. Why weren't the government? Why won't the government drive me into town? I just want to go into town. I bet everyone else is in town. Why won't the government let me pierce my belly button? The government sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm 15 years old and the government is my mean dad. One more fact about this book before I get into the plot summary, which is this is one of my favourite books in the whole world. And until a year and a half ago when I bought it, I ordered it into Waterstones, bought it and then shared it with you. um, I had never owned a copy of it. Because uh, when I was 14, Laura's age in the book, it was our like set text for that year in school. And um, there was this thing where me and my best friend had this thing where we would um, get money from our parents to buy books. And then we would split the difference, spend the money and like one of us would get a book and then the other person would look in on it in class. And then we would spend the rest of the money to buy fags. So she had dreadful. she had the changeover and we used to read it together, but it lived in her house. And like whenever I went over to her house, I would just read her copy of it and thought it was the best book ever. But it never occurred to me to buy my own copy because cigarettes were more important. Okay, so there's two things I really need to raise here is A, the changeover was a set text. Yeah. We never did anything that good. We did Lord of the Flies. I remember oh, doing Lord so of the Flies. So much worse like than the changeover. Forever. It's a boy book. It's just about boys fighting to each other to death. Whereas this is about cool women. Cool. So many cool women. And I think, because I, I think what we do need to talk about in this, and I really want to make sure we get into it, is Sorensen and gender. Where he's like, because he's a witch. He's a male witch. And that's extremely troubling for him and also everyone around him. Oh, it is a kind of a low key sort of gender dysphoria story, isn't it? Yeah. But also in terms of it being... So we studied Lord of the Flies, which is just, what happens when there's no women? The men go crazy. That's sad. <laughs> Whereas this book is very, like, complex female power. Yeah. And witch, witchcraft in The Changeover is very much a female power. And they say it, it causes a lot, you know? And it causes Sorry, who is a boy or a man. Interesting distinction. A great deal of stress that he is a man with a woman's power, and I just think that's interesting. Yeah, I just think it's I just think it's neat. It's, it's really, really, it's real, real great. Let's get deep, deep into that. But first, I'm going to do you do the, plot, the summary, plot summary, and then let's crack on. Okay. Laura Chant is a 14-year-old girl living with her mother Kate and her much younger brother in suburban New Zealand. Despite leading a normal and happy life, Laura is nonetheless subtly different to her friends. First, she receives ominous warnings from her own reflections. And second, that she's able to identify older prefect Sorensen Carlyle as a witch. These facts lie dormant until Jacko is preyed on by Carmody Brack, an ancient demon that starts consuming him from within. In order to defeat Carmody, Laura must complete a changeover, changing herself into a witch and going head to head with the demon himself. When you put it like that, it sounds so dumb. Does it? But it's so... It sounds so... And then she must become a witch. And you think potions and spells. And it's not like that. It's so real. When I... So I watched the film yesterday, mm-hmm. as you know, in preparation for this podcast, because I can never do fan casting and it makes me very stressed. But <laughs> I can never think of an actor. Stressed. And I thought, if I'd seen the film, perhaps I would be better placed. I'm not. But I saw the film. And the thing I wrote down while I was watching the film was the everydayness of the magic in this book. Yeah. It never seems weird that Laura gets premonitions. Her mother is like... I see that you've had a premonition. What do you want me to do about it's it? It's so great because um, in, in in basically every book where like a normal teen girl is magic, she doesn't tell 
the adults because she knows they won't understand. But like the relationship that Laura has with her mother, Kate, is such a close and tight-knit one. They're kind of almost peers more than they are mother and daughter in many senses. And she's like, she tells her everything all the time. She's like, sorry, Carlisle's a witch. I get, I'm getting premonition something bad is going to happen today. Something bad has happened today. Jacko's being um, like consumed by a demon. And her mom's always like, yeah, fuck off. It's, that's not a thing. Shut up. Go away. No, but no, she's not like, it's not a thing. She's just basically like, I am a single mother. I have a lot going on. I cannot at this moment in time yeah. deal with the fact that you think your brother is possessed or that you, or you think that a prefect at school is a witch. She's never like, you're being ridiculous, these things don't exist. She is kind of like, towards the end where... where um, when she's getting more and more stressed, yeah. but it's out of character. It is out of character, that's true, yes. It's out of character. Kate, who is Laura's mother, they're just good friends and they argue. And Laura has to pull her weight around the house because their dad is, her dad is missing. And or not missing. Her dad very much left them like and the timeline works out where he left his like Kate when Jacko was a baby. (laughs) Like and he also doesn't pay his maintenance and also like earns a good wage. And like weirdly he's never really judged by the book. It's like, yeah. I think he kind of is judged by the book. It's just he's not there. The fact of it this is a again, like Brother of the More Famous Jack last week. Yeah, so what I love about this book is the matter-of-factness with which it deals with these huge sweeping problems in that their dad has left, so they are a unit of three. Mm -hmm. They're a unit of three, and that means that Kate and Laura are very close, but it also means that Laura has to do jobs that a parent would do. She spends a lot of time taking care of Jacko. There's a bit, I think, where she says that she feels more like Jacko's mother than his sister because she remembers looking after him as a baby and she loves him so much. Oh, there's this... I'm going to try and find it. What's... What's so great about the change is that obviously there is this very easy um, metaphor um, with all of this, like Laura becoming a witch, which is going through the whole book, but is not hackneyed at all of like going from a girl to a woman and everything that means, right? Like there's um, bits in the early chapters where she's like, she's picking up Jacko from like his childminder. And uh, she's like, she literally can't look at him directly in the eye sometimes because she gets so overwhelmed with love for him and she doesn't really know what to do with it. And she's like, she often sort of looks at him as kind of like, he's like a child I'm going to have in the future and I'm not ready to like love him as much as I do. It's very like a, a girl who is getting this like avalanche of older female emotion falling on her that she's not ready for yet, you know? Yeah. Sometimes it seemed to her that Jacko was not her brother, but in some way her own baby. A baby she would have one day, both born and unborn at the same time. That's That line is very much the kind of heart of this book, in that it's complicated and makes... You have to think about it before it makes sense. Mm. And it's kind of melodramatic, but also it's very matter-of-fact, in that she's looked after him her whole life, and he's so important to her, and she just loves him. And like... and. It's an odd thought for a teenage girl to have. Yeah. Like, my brother is my baby. Yeah, she's never, the, like, the baby who annoyed by him. She's never like, oh, my fucking brother. Ugh. Like, it's always, like, my tender small baby. Even though she's, like, 14 and he's three. Which, like, I know me at that age would not have handled a three-year-old gracefully. No, not at all. And she doesn't... She a bit resents her mother for having to work all the time and... It curtailing her freedom, but she never resents Jacko for it. No. She's sometimes angry with Kate for not pulling her weight, but then what can Kate do? Yeah. Kate needs to earn some money. And they're all very on board with, well, this is not ideal, but 
it is how it is. I love Kate. I love Kate and Laura's relationship so much. It feels so real and accurate to me. It's really, really gorgeous. And what's really lovely... And like, what's great about the, the book is like quite short. It's huge, sprawling fantasy. I think it like how many pages is it? Like less than two hundred, um, like two hundred and seventeen pages in my edition. And um, it takes place over like three days, like less than a week, um, which is how long it takes for Jacko to get possessed by Carmen Dibrac and uh, to almost die and to have Laura go through the changeover. And yet, still. At the beginning of the book, even though Laura and Kate are like really good friends, there's still a kind of like a Jacqueline Wilson-y overture, if you know what I mean. It's very like, oh yeah, mum's poor, but we make do and we're all lovely. And like, you know, it's very that tone, you know. But I then right. towards there the end, it becomes Jacqueline. more adult. It becomes, it becomes even more of a peerage thing, you know. I think you grow up with the book. I feel yes. that you grow up with Laura while you're reading it. Because at the start, she's a kid and she's a good kid. Yeah. But what's interesting is at the end, she's not a woman. This isn't a coming-of-age novel, mm-hmm. I don't think. Because otherwise, why would Sorry have to go and look at birds on a bird reserve? Let's get to that later. I can't talk about the ending yet. It's too much. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about this systematically, because there's so much about this book I love mm-hmm. that I am... I'm, I'm so afraid I, of I, skipping over anything important. I fear I could become overwhelmed. Like, I, I open this book at a random page and I just want to read read bits out. Like, even the first the first sentence. Oh, my God. Okay, so I have so much to say about the first, like, paragraph. So, like, just read it like, and I will, I will dismantle it from there. <laughs> Although the label on the hair shampoo said Paris and had a picture of a beautiful girl with the Eiffel Tower behind her bare shoulder, it was forced to tell the truth in tiny print under the picture. Made in New Zealand, it said. Wisdom Laboratories, Paraparama, Paramu. Just for a moment, Laura had had a dream of washing her hair and coming out from under the shower to find out she was not only marvellously beautiful, but also transported to Paris. However, there was no point in washing her hair if she were only going to be moved as far as Paraparamu. Besides, she knew her hair would not dry in time for school and she would spend half the morning with chilly ears. These were the facts of everyday life, and being made in New Zealand was another. You couldn't really think your way into being another person with a different morning ahead of you, or shampoo yourself into a beautiful city full of artists drinking wine and eating pancakes cooked in brandy. I think it's such an amazing opening, because, like, it's kind of this weird, like, um, foreshadowing for, for everything, right? In that, like, it's this thing of, like, this is going to be a high fantasy novel and it is set in suburban New Zealand where high fantasy novels are not set. Like, it's very much kicking back against that whole thing that, like, a book of this sort has to happen in, like, England or in a boarding school. Do you know what I mean? And, like, it's also this thing of, like, things not being what they seem and things, like, it's a thing of glamorous entire existing from page one, you know? Oh, that's so true. But in the end, she does think her way. Exactly, she that's does. Exactly what she happens. does think her way into a different. Think reality. her way into becoming something different, and into the reality being different. And I, it's very. So one thing I wrote down when I was thinking about this yesterday was the words "magical admin." Yes. Now we're really getting into a deep theme of things me and Caroline talk about on our daily walk. Yeah. We talk about magical admin. Yeah, all the time. Often, it's our favorite subject. The best bit of all books about magic e.g. Harry Potter yeah. or similar, is when they stop telling the story for one fucking minute 
and get on to the bits of how the world runs when magic is in it's, it's, it's the Diagon Alley thing right like everybody just wants to spend more time in Diagon Alley um, just or in the wand shop or whatever like you want to know the specifics the admin the like how like is there a HR system you know is there a, like how do things work it's so I think it's much more compelling to most people than magical plot yeah I mean I'm obsessed with things like the Ministry of Magic the wand weighing system where the little ticket comes out and it tells you who you are and how much your wand weighs and then you've got your label I love that yeah and like that this book is so good on that because it's like it's never vague how the magic works you're intensely aware even even if like you're just getting new information sprung on you all the time it all makes sense do you know what I mean like there's a there's a part where um she's having dinner with um with the Carlisles and Sorensen he just summons a kingfisher out of nowhere and it's beautiful and he goes like oh I've taken it from tomorrow and so it's like he didn't like materialize a bird out of nowhere he took it from tomorrow and then the next day they see the bird again and then there's this bit where like Miriam's like he's showing off that actually like took a lot of focus and concentration and he's like yes and then he like leaves the room and lies down for the evening do you know what I mean like it's just really corporeal and really real that's what I love. What I love is magic systems where I can see the physics of it. And obviously, it's not physics. Actually, there's a, it's pataphysics, which is physics about magic, um, which is such a nice word. I've never heard that word. It's, it's lovely. Borges. I think it's Borges or someone, someone who writes big books. A boy I was once flirting with in 2010 used to say it a lot. So I kind of filed it. But now we're teens again. I can start being like, oh, pataphysics. Now we're teens again. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my jumper's slipping artfully off one shoulder. It's my school jumper. <laughs> Lovely. Um, but, yeah, pataphysics. I like seeing... I'm probably using that wrong. I, again, have not read this book. I Just a boy told me about it 12 years ago. Yeah, it's pataphysics, i.e. the physics of magic. How does this work? What is the energy transfer happening? I am totally ready and prepared all the time to believe in a world where magic exists. Totally. But I need it to make sense. It can't just be you wish for whatever you want and then you get it. Yeah. I need to see the cost of magic. Because otherwise everyone would just use it all the time and you'd get like an upper class of wizards who could do anything. Absolutely. And like, I, I've i just finished um, my y, first YA book, which is going to come out in March 21. And like, I'm, I'm really, really... I was just wondering if we were allowed to reference I don't, it. I, I, just... I don't know, but like it feels pertinent because this book has influenced it more than anything else. And like, I, yeah. I and and you've helped me hugely with the book as well. And you know that like being a slave to a system of magic is uh, always has to be forefront in these things. And it has to be, there. Ha- as you say, there has to be a cost system of like, okay, you can, you know, tear a hole through the universe or whatever. But like, what does that mean? Like, okay, you can like... Um, control this like ageless demon but what is that doing to you do you know what I mean and it's so it's this endless kind of push and pull and um, and it's and it works really naturally as well with the psychology of just how people are kind of thing it's like oh yeah you can behave cruelly towards someone because they deserve it but also how does that cruelty affect you that comes up in the last third of the book as well you know um, but I feel like I'm getting a little bit ahead and I would really like to talk about Carmody Brack um, because I think he is the most hideous, hideous villain who's ever existed. And um, like the film, which we're going to talk about towards the end of the podcast, um, is done really, really well 
And the best thing about it is Timothy Spall as Comedy Bragg. The best thing about it is Timothy Spall. Here's the thing you need to know about Comedy Bragg. Mm-hmm. Is when you first meet him, he is an antiques dealer. He is kind of old. And there's nothing you can put your finger on, but he's disgusting. Here's what it is. Without ever saying it, Comedy Bragg has pedo energy. He, oh, no, he just I seems like I, a pedo. He's like that thing where you meet an old I man and he no, seems that. like a pedo. See, I don't... It's not pedo energy, necessarily. It's just... He's just the kind of man that, as a teenage girl, you're like, I must get out of this room. Yeah. Let me read from it. Yes, go wild. Yet, once in this enchanting shop, all Laura wanted was to go out again, for it was full of the stale, sweet smell, laced with peppermint that had assailed her in the morning, the smell of something very wrong and unable to conceal its wrongness. The moment for which the morning had tried to prepare Laura was upon her. Now, now she would begin to come apart. Now the fresh tra- crack would begin between her and the eyes who no one knew it was there but Laura herself. Come on, she cried to Jacko, there's no one here. But at that moment, as if her voice had broken a seal of silence, a man suddenly rose from behind the counter where he had presumably been putting things away very, very quietly. He was grinning, his teeth apparently too big for his thin, rubbery lips to cover them. Indeed, his whole face was somehow shrunken back around his smile so that he looked like a grinning puppet. He was almost completely bald with, with, with what hair he had clipped very close and there were dark blotches on his cheeks and a neck almost but not quite like bruises. Oh, he cried when he saw Jacko, a baby! He put a very heavy, bleating emphasis on the first half of the word. A baby! he exclaimed again in a high-pitched voice, breaking out as he bleated so that the air became sodden with stale peppermint breathing in at the very end so the word was finally sucked away to nothing. It's just this, like, clammy, simpering, terrible... That man who you're told that lives on your street who everyone says is harmless, but he's not. He just gets too close. Yeah. Even before you know anything about him, you can just picture him. You've met him. We've all met him. Just the man who is too close and too affectionate in ways that make you feel disgusting. And it's that thing of like when you're... I I distinctly remember like meeting those men that made me unnerved when I was a young person and like being like, no, I don't like him. And, And your parents being like, oh, stop that. He's very lonely. He's just like that because he's lonely. Be nice. You're being very cruel. Do you know what I mean? And like, you're always like forced by politeness into like accepting these men that make you profoundly uncomfortable. And maybe you are being cruel, but maybe also there's something fucking weird about them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I hate Comedy Brack. I really hate talking about Comedy Brack. Like, I know we're going to have to, because this is a podcast in which he will feature being the main antagonist. But when I talk about Comedy Brack, I feel frightened. Yeah. He's so, he kind of appears and disappears, not in a magic way, but maybe in a magic way. He's kind of there where you don't want him to be, and he's where you don't want him to be, and he's where you don't expect him to be. Yeah, and he, he does this and, great thing of like, he's very, he's like an ancient thing. He's been preying on like, people for thousands of years and he like imitates human life but he does all these things that like are slightly off like he's um when they meet him towards the end of the book he's pruning his rose bushes but it's totally out of season do you know what I mean? he's like it's like the wrong season for him to be doing that mm-hmm. and it's just like no he doesn't he like he can imitate but he can't be human you know that's the thing he's an almost and that's what's so horrible about comedy brag is that he's almost a person and he's like a person, but not a person. And there's something... There's always something horrible. It's why people are creeped out by masks, I think. Yeah. And clowns. 
because there's like oh you're almost like a person but you're not a person a puppet's it's very like the fear people have of puppets i think yeah yes this sense of like a person moves like a person absolutely not a person fear of robots as well it's the uncanny valley of people uncanny valley that's the word i was looking for because you know it's not right you know it's not right but you can't put your finger on what exactly is wrong nor can you accuse them either without sounding like you're insane you know and laura's never afraid of sounding insane when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So one of the weird like nuances about Carmody Brack is that like he's an antique stealer and like it's such, first of all it's a creepy job and um it's all like small things as well it's like a tiny tiny little shop with like small little toys that are very old and it's got this weird thing cuz like that the whole setting has of the book which is like he's got this small little antiques shop in like this new shopping mall that's like kind of ugly and kind of crass. And at the whole, like I know nothing about New Zealand in the 1980s, obviously, um, but there's this... (laughs) What's your specialist subject? Well, New Zealand shopping malls of the 1980s. (laughs) But um, I feel like I understand New Zealand in the year 1986 very well because of this book, because it's like this thing of like, a lot of like the old kind of far, far, sheep farms and all that kind of stuff, all this old farming land being cleared away and these cities that are like mushrooming really quickly and these suburbs that are mushroom really quickly and they're all called really like things like, you know, Greendale or Greenpoint or whatever and this kind of like a soulless newness to everything that Laura experiences. Like there's all these references to like um how... uh the trees that are near her still have their nursery labels on them. And like, um, this is great quote about like, Kingsford Drive unreeled as long and straight as the surveyor string that had laid it down only a few years earlier. Like everything is so new. And then you have the Carlisle family that live in this like ancient, beautiful house. But then Carmody Brack, he's got this antique shop, gross antique shop in the middle of this ugly new mall. And it's like, the worst of these two things kind of converging and spilling together, you know? Yeah. I would really like to talk about the Carlisle's house now. (laughs) Oh my God, please. The Museum of Spare Time. So the Carlisle's, it is implied that they... Implied or explicit? I can't remember. But there we have this most beautiful house called Janus Cali. And... They it is a big stone old farmhouse, and they talk about the time when there was no city, just the 
just rolling hills and they were there. Yeah. And I love that as an idea. I love that they've been there. They've always been there. The Carlisles have been there forever and they will always be there. Yeah. And what's so interesting about Sorry, who is the book's true hero, the most attractive teenager ever. <laughs> um, look, if we're going to do this properly, we're going to have to really get into just fancying a lot of teens. Fancying imaginary teens. I think it's fine. Hey, I'm 15. I ate some Cocoa Pops from my hand this morning. I can fancy Sorry Carlisle. And... Yeah, give me some background but, on Miriam and Winter because it's fascinating and so good. So the background for Sorry Carlisle is he lives with Winter, his grandmother, and Miriam, his mother. However, it becomes clear that Sorry Carlisle has himself only recently returned to the house because he has been fostered for his whole childhood essentially because his mother had him in a fit of panic that they needed another yeah. witch then he was a boy she didn't want a boy yeah, she they wanted, want, a girl. They wanted to raise a cone of power yeah i can't forget the cone of power to protect them from the city that was growing towards their house they wanted to protect their land so they wanted to have a daughter so she just got knocked up by some rando presuming it would be a girl and they would have their mother maiden and crone and um then and then sorry is a boy and she's like bin it Literally, she sends him away to the city to live with a foster family who love him and are kind to him to a point, but he is never one of them. Then it becomes clear that he is a witch. Mm -hmm. It becomes clear to the foster family, whereupon the the foster father starts to beat him because he's a witch and he can't bear it. The book is very tender to the foster father. Yeah. Sorry is very tender to the foster father. They're very clear, like, well, it's very stressful. He had no... He lost his job, and then Sorry was another mouth to feed, but they couldn't get rid of Sorry because of the money that came in with the, foster, with the fostering allowance, but also was very stressful for the father to now be living at home with his wife, his sons, and a witch. Yeah. A male witch. And the book is very like, hey, these things happen. It was not nice, but that's what humans do, and, it, and I am a it's witch. It's like high-level abuse. It's like... He was like, like yeah. he. At one point, he beats Sorry so badly that he's and he's so black and blue that he can't let him go to school because people will see. And so he locks him in a closet for like two days. It like just- so. Sorry, as the book begins, has been abused, and then one night he starts running and he ends up at the family home, at the Carlisle home. He is called back there by the magic, where his birth mother and his birth grandmother kind of shrug and are like well okay you're here you're clearly a witch so that's what we wanted all along and sorry seems to love them but he has this very very odd relationship with them as you might expect (laughs) and that's i think what's interesting about there's another magical admin type thing in that it's very real it's this high fantasy of well you know sometimes people get pregnant in ways they didn't expect and sometimes people don't want to raise their kids and sometimes fostering happens and sometimes abuse happens and this all happens in the same world as this deep, ancient, unknowable magic. Yeah. What I love about it as well is that like the Carlisles in particular, it's this thing of like, generally in a book like this, when you meet a family of witches who live in a beautiful old house, they are either like super cool and down and on your side and they're giving you lots of breweries and, and tarot readings and they're really good and they're like white magic. Or it's like Snow White, like fucking crazy ass, like mental evil. woman. But like the evil black magic. Evil black magic. And this is, 
This is, people are witches, and therefore they make decisions that people make. Yeah. Some of them are good and some of them are bad, but you need them on your side. It's, it, they're so, like, the Carlyle's, like, Miriam and Winter, they're so morally obscure. Because, it's, like, basically the first thing you hear about them, first thing you see about them is that they're, like, beautiful and their house rocks. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for Laura to spend so much time with these cool women and this hot guy. And then the more you're in it, the more you're like, okay, first of all, they've done some pretty fucked up things in order to like hold on to their land. <laughs> like, which is a pretty like... And to hold on to their beautiful house. I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? They've got this house that is more beautiful than anywhere Laura's ever been. It's old. It's, you know, it's old. It's got character. It's full of flowers and plants and books. We'll get on to Sorry's study, which is Important heaven. and great, yes. And it's very sexy also. Um, we'll get on to Sorry's study in a minute, but this whole house is... It's the kind of house you imagine yourself living in when you think about living a bohemian life, but with loads of inexplicable money. It's just books everywhere and plants and there's a cat and the garden is huge and there's stone gates. Uh, and like you just, the whole time you're reading it and you're going back and forth with these like Laura's house and like hospital scenes, you're kind of back and back and like, I want to go back to the Carlisle house. Do you know what I mean? You don't actually spend that much time in it. And like... You don't spend much time in the Carlisle house and you spend very little time with Miriam and Winter because... That's the thing. How much time do you spend with your crush's mum and grandma, even if they're cool? Not that much. But there's the, so like, there's a thing where like the moral obscurity of like the things, the terrible things that they have done to keep their land, and this is only one thing we know about. Do you know what I mean? The, I assume there's more. Like, um, I too assume there's more, and I think this is what I mean, and what, what we were trying to get at with this stuff about the cost of magic yeah there's a moral cost to magic everything comes at a price and the more powerful you become the more you accept that the rules for other humans don't apply to you and that rots you in a way yeah and it makes you it makes you adhere to a different standard of morality and one that is I think lesser but then I'm not a witch much (laughs) much a bit but there's with that standard of morality thing like when so um Laura is like, okay, the only way to save Jacko from being like eaten alive by Carmody Brack is to become a witch myself. And they're very, they're both clear and murky about the fact that this changeover is a violent thing that will possibly kill her. It could kill her or drive her insane. And, but the, the, the like Sorensen is more explicit with her about the dangers than Miriam or Winter because Miriam and Winter want another witch like they they ultimately they have sorry but they need their maiden like they they like they're doing it for selfish reasons you know they don't really care about jacko i think they care they don't not care they about care jacko, a little but they care more to, that they have another witch right yeah they care more about laura becoming a witch because laura is the person with enough latent power that they can have their cone of power and probably protect their house for another generation yeah and like ho- and, and hopefully that. like have Sorensen and Laura like have a kid and then like have even more power in their line you know they're thinking I in mean, terms of to- generations not in terms of months or weeks is what we're saying they are very much this is the legacy this is the legacy of witchcraft and we must protect it yeah and it's not then we can protect the people of the town it's then we can protect the Carlisles forever yeah and these are the people, these are the good, in terms of the story structure, these are the people whose side you're on, is these selfish, ancient, old money witches. Yeah. Oh, who, so great. 
and and Laura is of course herself from a family with not a lot of money. The sh- her shampoo does not come from Paris. It comes from New Zealand. <laughs> She's wonderful, but you know her skirt's a bit short, which is the first thing Sorry says to her, which is so magnificent because Sorry, much like Jonathan Goldman last week, is a very realistic portrayal of a man who fancies somebody and is not that skilled at acquiring it. Yeah, but has like watched a lot of movies and read a lot of books. Like so many. The way Sorry Carlyle talks to Laura is like he's seen a lot of film noir. Do you know what I mean? It's very like, oh of all the of all the gin joints and all the world you gotta walk in a mine. It's very that. Like Absolutely. And I might read a little bit of Please do. Sorry. Uh, so I wanted to read the whole chunk of this but I'm going to have to make some sort of on the fly edits because it's so long this description of Sorry and Laura meeting in Sorry's study for the first time she's come to the house to ask for Sorry's help and his mother and grandmother's help in fighting the demon that is possessing her little brother mm-hmm. the demon is Carmody Brack her brother's in hospital okay Laura saw even before she looked at him properly, that this was a different version of Sorry Carlisle from the one she had known at school. His black dressing gown or caftan was part of the change. His hands redefining the cat by stroking it were another, for they were covered in rings, some of them old and beautiful, gifts perhaps from his grandmother who also wore many rings. However, when she looked into his face as she was bound to do at last... Her hair stood quite simply on end, for in this room he was somehow expanded, less simple, less mild, less good, overflowing with blackness. At the same time he stared at her incredulously, as if she had had a precisely similar effect on him, appearing in his doorway, a visitation hoped for and feared, a test he was forced to take before he was ready to do so. At the same time, Laura saw with relieved satisfaction that Sorry had a few pimples at his hairline, and the thought that this witch might have pimples like anyone else gave her confidence. The cat on his knees began to knead and purr, looking up at her with luminous eyes. "'Come on in,' he said. "'What's eating you, chump?' "'Tigers,' Laura thought of saying as she sidled nervously into the room. Sorry, for his part, recovered from his strange astonishment and began to smile a smile both inquisitive and sinister." "'What's brought you into my parlour? he asked ominously. "'It's late to be visiting a man in his rooms, <laughs> chant. "'I'm wearing my school uniform,' Laura said. "'Does that make it better or worse?' "'She had never worked out why he had always chosen to call her by her surname, "'but she had not minded. "'Sorry laughed a little, as if he were surprised at her answer. "'I don't know the etiquette on that one,' he admitted. "'I don't think it's dealt with in any books I've read. "'Sit down.' "'Anyway.' It's perfect. Their dialogue is so perfect. He is constantly being like, I am a witch. I am a magnificent witch in a black silk dressing gown. And she's constantly being like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I could be a witch if I wanted and uh, you'll make me a witch if I want. So (laughs) it's... it's, Uh Their dynamic is so, so great. I think it's like the best in the genre, really. Um, Of this thing of like, these two... like we, we, We have it a lot in sort of supernatural sort of teenage books where it's like these two characters are fated to be together they are the only two people that could understand each other but it doesn't mean they always like each other 
that they are always amused and intrigued by each other. That they actually don't share that much in common as such, apart from the fact that they're well, both witches. Which I, lo- I love the push what? and pull of that. Yeah, what I love is that he's a prefect and she's in year 10. And that is a big deal. <laughs> it's a big age gap. You know, three years for grown-ups is nothing. Yeah. Three years between 14 and 17 it's a huge age gap and they're very aware of it all the time. Everyone's aware of it. Like it's it's like the elephant everyone's always talking about. It's like he's older than you. It's weird. It's not like one of those 1970s books where it's like sure she is 12 and you're 26. Who cares? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, it's, it's like very... people are aware of this like people are aware like he's in sixth form and you're not and like he's very rich and in sixth form and you're a kind of average looking girl. Yeah. In year 10 and like that's a weird vibe. What's he? The gist is very much, partly, what does sorry see in you? Yeah. But also, he is a weirdo. He's a weirdo and maybe also gay? Have you not seen his captain? <laughs> yeah, he has a strong gay vibe. Uh, yes, speaking of Sorensen's gay vibe, I think this is a really good time to start talking about that gender stuff I mentioned at the beginning. Yeah. Because he's been rejected for being a boy by his mother and his grandmother with literally no regrets at all. Then he was beaten really badly by his foster father for being the wrong kind of man. And then ignored by his like foster brothers who were like, he had like five foster brothers, all older, none of whom gave a fuck. Yeah. And then he's just here trying to be a man from things he's learned from books and films. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah, because there, there's basically there's very few men in the book. It's all wall-to-wall women, apart from, like, hey. Kate's boyfriend, Chris. I want to talk about Kate's boyfriend, Chris. So yeah. that's one of the interesting developments in this novel, is that Kate acquires, Kate, Laura's mother, acquires this boyfriend, Chris, who is just a good, nice man. Yeah. He's just a solidly decent guy. He really likes Kate. He thinks her kids are neat. He's there. They've only just started going out, but he's still there for her when Jacko gets sick he agrees to, he will drive her anywhere he'll do anything he's just a nice guy who's just met this woman he really likes and he wants to help her out and what's really important about Chris as well is that like when when the book in the beginning when the book is that it's most Jacqueline Wilson-y it's that typical thing of being like mum's brought a man home I hate him because I love my mum <laughs> do you know what I mean it's a very like A to B to C children's book plotting, you know? And then by the end of the book, like her and Sari are driving by, um, on, on his Vespa, which is very cool and sexy, um, by her house in the morning. And like, she stayed in the Carlisle house overnight because Jack goes in the hospital and the mom doesn't know when she was getting home. Um, and then she sees Chris coming out of her house to get the milk in like her mom's raincoat. And it's clear they've had, it's clear that, They've had sex, right? Her mum's had sex with this new guy who she barely knows while her brother is critically ill. And she has this whole afternoon with Sari where it's just like, he's like, like, get over it. It's not a big deal. And she's like, it is a big deal. And he's like, it's not a big deal. And anyway, she eventually, she kind of comes around to it and it leads to this very like frank conversation that she has with her mother about like sex and desire. And her mum is like, look, you know, I needed to just not be myself. And sometimes sex is a release from being yourself, which is like a really advanced conversation to have with your 14 year old. But nonetheless, it's a conversation the book trusts them to have, you know? Yeah, I just want to, I just wanted to read the thing she actually says. Yeah. It wasn't that I didn't care about Jacko, she said. 
It was because I care so much. I felt so dreadful I needed some sort of consolation and escape. I wanted to comfort you, Laura cried. I'd have kept you company. Me, not a stranger. Kate looked around the room as if she might see some advice written up on the walls. It's the wrong time, she sighed. It's the wrong time to say these things. But it's the only time, as it turns out. Everything happens all at once. First I met Chris, and then Jacko grew ill, and the two things have run into one another, so they've been part of the same thing. I've got to say things, even though I know it's the wrong time to say them. Laura, you are a consolation to me, but you can never be an escape, because I feel responsible for you. I have to try and protect you, and look after you, and anyway, one of the things about sex... She stopped and began again. You make me more myself than I want to be at times, you and Jacko between you. And there are times when people make love so they can get a rest from being themselves. Just for a few moments, they can become nothing and it's a great relief. That's what I mean by escape. I've been myself, unrelieved for a long time now, and I've loved it. Loved being with you and Jacko. Even loved work, though I grumbled so much. But I wanted escape. Chris didn't ask me last night. I asked him. It's such, like... There are, like, novel... Adult novels that don't deal with, like... Adult sexual, adult female sexuality as competently as that passage does. Do you know what I mean? As competently and as crisply. And, you know, she... It's the wrong time to say these things, but everything happens at once. Right? It's like... And, like... Um, and, and at first, you're, you are a bit like, wow... Kate fucked some guy while her son is critically ill. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, it's, you, you do get that weird slut Jamie instinct where you're just like, oh, you kind of been that upset about your son. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's like, no, people like need, need things in different ways at different times. And like, some people can eat a full meal when they're upset. And like, some people can fuck somebody when they're upset. Like, I always hate those things in films where it's like somebody's like really worried so they can't eat, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, obviously that happens too. You and I both know that. Sure, sure. But then I think... You know, at times when things have been totally atrocious, how much of a good time you and I have had? Yeah. Do you remember like that Christmas when my then partner was in uh, critical critical care and it was very very bad? And Caroline and I and our friend Harry and Gavin, Caroline's boyfriend, drank these cocktails that were a bottle of gin and a jar of jam put in a blender. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad time. One of the all time great nights. Yeah. And. Inexplicably, Caroline and I had just both received a packet of tarot cards for Christmas. Oh, yeah. And it was Christmas Eve, and we had never gone into tarot before, and we just did tarot and drank these gin jam cocktails. Honestly, such a great time. And I remember thinking, should I feel more guilty about this? Should we all feel more guilty about this? Anyway, we decided not to feel guilty about any of it, and uh, I think that was the right call. And I, to see that so crisply put in a children's book which is just sometimes adults need not to be themselves and sex is a really good way to not feel like yourself having a good time you need to so and the bit where she said basically it's like Laura you can't you can't be everything to me yeah it's devastating and devastating for Laura but Laura also is growing away from Kate because she's suddenly got Sorry who is again in the sixth form (laughs) and a prefect He's a prefect. He's got a Vespa and uh, he wears dressing gown and rings. He's got a cat, actually. So you can't see the face I made, but it was a face of real uh, contempt for people who don't have a Vespa. (laughs) 
that is what I would call that expression. Correct. That is what that is. No, it's it's absolutely fabulous in that, and all, and like it's the thing what I was saying before about like um this gradual sort of moving. It's not the transition from girl to woman, but it is the transition from girl to young woman, if you know what I mean. Like, in that, by the yeah, time she she's stops gone being through, a child. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of isolates that whole phase by itself, doesn't it? And, like, the, like they're, they go, it goes from this very childish thing of, like, everybody in your life is only ever acting in relation to you. Like, she's mad at her dad for leaving. She's mad at Kate for working late nights. She's mad at Kate for bringing a random guy around on what's supposed to be the special evening. But it's like that child thing of everything everyone does is like is like bouncing back off me. It all it all I am the refractor of light here. But then like by the end of it, once she's gone through the changeover and once she has this new like experience of being alive, there's a point where she's looking at her dad's girlfriend and she's so like she can now see in 3D, you know, and like she's like realizes that his dad her dad's girlfriend, um, who is pregnant, secretly had a secret hope that she wanted Jacko to die and for her unborn baby to be a, a boy. So therefore she would be more loved by her, by Laura's father and more cherished by him. And in and, and it, she's something like, um, Laura forgave Julia the second she realized that's what she wanted because, you know, it's, it, it was totally understandable. Do you know what I mean? Like she goes from being so naive to being able to grapple with this huge, weird fantasy of this woman she barely knows and forgive her for it in the same instance, you know? It's another very... It's interesting, isn't it? It's another very forgiving book. Yeah. And Brother of the Wolf, Home is Jack, another very forgiving book. And The Poisonwood Bible, which we will do on this series in a few weeks because it's a very long book and it takes a long time to reread. Yeah. But it's another book that's very forgiving, I think. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so all of books are, yeah. I think that perhaps what we respond to so strongly, and I think most people do, is this sense of an author who can see what's going on and can understand it and can forgive people. I think there is something very powerful about the idea of a not a narrator, because that suggests a first person, but a tenderness, a, t- a way of looking at the world that contains this kind of tenderness for everything, even your worst feelings, even your worst actions. That's so and true. Goes, yeah. That's part of being human. That's part of what's being alive. I think that books where there is too strong a moral dimension of he's a baddie, she's a goodie, who's it's gonna so win? True. It'll be the goodie. And <laughs> I think particularly... At this point, I don't know if one wants to stay away from this, but at this point in history, at this point in global history, what we are seeing is lots of complicated people trying their best. Yeah. I feel strongly, every time I look at the news or I talk to someone who knows scientists or whatever, I just see a lot of people trying their best, doctors trying their best and nurses trying their best, and, you know, the government of all the countries trying to do what they can in the way they think is right and I think maybe that's why at this time what I want is to read books where things are big and things are scary and people think thoughts that are not good and they say things that are not good and they don't always behave in ways that are perfect and they behave in ways that are troubling and flawed and problematic and often cruel or mean or spiteful Yeah, but you know, that's what it is to be a person. You have all these worlds inside you and they have to coexist at once and with everyone else's. 
I love that. And I also love that because there's a version of like the flawed character in um in fiction sometimes that's like their their flaws feel very practiced and uh, deliberate so that the writer can then call them a flawed character but it's always this level of holding back where it's like mm, I want her to be flawed but not so flawed that my uh, reader doesn't not like her all the time do you know what I mean like I can always Whereas, smell that I think when I when I'm reading a book and it always puts me off yeah I mean what it is it's like not to rag on Twilight, because I read and enjoyed all the Twilight books and think the movies are fun. And Twilight uh, is very much the, the the grandchildren of this book, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But what I do think about in terms of Twilight is things like, she's so clumsy. Yeah, it's very that. She's clumsy yeah. and she's shy. Those are her flaws. She never says oh. the right thing. She's impatient. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. And but it's, it's infuriating. In this, Laura does not behave in lots of cases to her mother like you like a perfect child would. She and Sorry have a weird relationship. Very weird. Yeah. They kiss maybe twice. Yeah. One of those times, his mother is kissing her on one cheek, his grandmother <laughs> is kissing her on the other, and he is kissing her on the mouth. And the other time, they're in a dream. <laughs> yeah. Or not a dream. They're in the middle of... The, the changeover. changeover. The titular changeover. And they're not perfect to each other. She's often snappy with him. He's, He's often weirdly patronising and condescending to her. He's constantly... Also, he frequently sexually assaults her. She's into it. <laughs> I mean, she is into it. There's a bit I don't where... know if it's... I don't think it's sexually assaulting. No. The only bit I think is weird is where he puts his her face on... She goes into his room and he's put her school photo cut out of the, you know, the big school photo where you're all in. Yeah, yeah. Thing. He's cut her face out and stuck it on essentially a Playboy model. Just it's to, weird. Just to, just to imagine what she might look like nude. But very believable. I believe. I mean, he's 17, you know. He's 17 and he just... Was in like, the 80s really before fancy. there was porn, you know? <laughs> I really fancy her and I would like to imagine what she looks like with no clothes on. It's very tender and weird. He's tender but, but and there's, weird. There's like... Um, there's a bit where like it seems all... Pro- like they've had their like sexy 1940s banter that they do. And um, he's it feels like he's about to lean in and kiss her towards the earlier part of the book. And he instead of kissing her, he just like puts his hand on her tit. <laughs> He's seventeen. He's seventeen, uh, and it's just like oh, but like they're all of their interactions. It, it feels so weird because once again, he's seventeen, she's fourteen. They're so horny. Like there's this bit where like she's staying in his house and he comes into her in the middle of the night and it's totally dark and like he's talking to her about the dangers of the changeover and how she could die if she goes through with it. And she starts like she can't see because it's still dark in the room, so she's like um, tracing his face with her hands Ugh, and like I trying can't. to trying to see what expression he was making in house and series making I'm like this is so hot <laughs> look to read this book properly you have to be 15 um it's like that famous thing about how to read Dante's Inferno properly you have to be a Christian even while if it's just for the even if it's just while you're reading it you have to truly oh, believe right. that Christ is the hero and the devil is coming for you you have to really feel 
you have to believe in that world or you can't understand the text to believe in the change to read the changeover you have to commit to being 15 it's so true yeah because if you read it like an adult you end up feeling weird you feel weird about how much you want to sleep with this child (laughs) he's 17 (laughs) but by the same he's 17 you're 28 it's not good (laughs) by the same token though the way it's written is like very much a can be can be enjoyed by adults. I don't want anyone to think that like it's written in a way. And I don't think we've shown no. that. No, it's not like that at all. It's very beautifully written. It's crafted and written like an adult novel, but because the heroine is fifteen, yeah, you have to you have to get on board with just feeling her feelings, which are it's really difficult to be fifteen, and it's difficult when the boy you like again. I cannot stress enough. It's in sixth form. <laughs> he is in sixth form, and he has a Vespa, and. You do not, because you are Laura and you don't even have a blonde streak in your hair like your friend, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki's a bitch. Nikki is a bitch. And she has a much greater role in the film, which was interesting to me. Let's talk... First, let's talk about the ending in the film, okay? The, en- I, the ending is a very strange ending. I enjoyed the film very much. I thought it was a really good adaptation of the spirit, if not the letter of the text. Yeah, I completely agree. But, the ending in the film is that Jacko is dead and Laura brings him back to life by just saying a lot, I love you and I don't want you to die. He is dead in a morgue. I cannot stress enough yeah. he is dead in the morgue, wrapped up in the sheets. Her mother is furious. I, the mother in the film, I didn't like at all. I felt she was deeply unsympathetic and given short shrift when I love Kate. Um, yeah, and it's weird because Melanie Linsky is like a very beloved cult actress. So I thought she was good, but I don't think she was. Good I think as Kate she's good, but she's not Kate. Yeah, like she didn't love. She was a very interesting character, and if I didn't know Kate, mm. if I hadn't met Kate before, I wouldn't be like, oh, you've really misjudged who Kate is here. Yeah, but Irana like, James somebody as else. Laura is fantastic. I think she's perfect. She's perfect. The casting is incredible. Yeah. Did you like? Sorry. No, not a lot. But I have I have some real theories about the Changeover movie. Can I tell them to you? Darling, please. <laughs> I long to hear them. So I think th- the filmmakers were like, okay, we're going to make this adaptation of this beloved spooky teen novel that is like re- still really celebrated. Won the Carnegie when it came out. Is like in libraries all over the world. Like it's a beautiful gothic text and we're going to make it faithfully, right? And so, the, yes. and so that's what it feels like, right? It's like a, it's really beautifully shot. The, the the teenage leads are are really good or whatever. And then I think slowly what began to happen as they started putting the movie together was they got Timothy Spall, who is this incredible character actor who comes with all this weight from the Harry Potter franchise, right? They got yes. Lucy Lawless, who comes with her own sort of who plays Miriam, who played Xena, warrior princess, who comes with her own science fiction background. They got the hottest boy in the world. <laughs> to play Sarenson Carlyle and they have Arana James who's this like be- like amazing up and coming star coming out of New Zealand whose career is just rocketing and they- and I think what they realised once they had all these parts together they were like fuck now we don't have a beautiful quiet gothic mystery what we have is a, a movie people want to see and put money behind therefore we have to make it bigger and blow it out more and we have to make it more visual more cinematic big opening weekend blah blah and they pushed too far in that direction to try and make it like a new New Zealand Twilight. 
And I think it crumbles at the edges because of that pushing. I think that is an absolutely correct theory. I think the things I didn't like about the film were where it felt ridiculous. So bringing Jacko back from the dead. Yeah, wrong. Wrong, because as discussed, there has to be a cost. You can't bring people back from the dead once you've crossed that, that is, river. That is magic 101, you know? Everything. You can't bring people back from the dead or you could do it all the time. And once you bring someone back from the dead, and they do allude to that. I think the last words of the film are, when I when I Jacko live again, something, something in me died. Call it childhood or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Which is not a sacri. It's not. I'm sorry. It's just not a price. The price is a life for a life. Yeah. To quote your novel, which is not yet out. Can I? Sure. <laughs> you have to give big to get big. You do. This is a line from Caroline's new book coming out next year that we talked about at length and continue to talk about at length. Now you're getting a real glimpse into what Caroline and I talk about, which is made up people we have invented and made up people we also know. It's true. Uh, but you do. You ha- the rule of magic is you have to, there has to be a balance. There has to be equal. There has to be physics. And what's, and what's so annoying... You can't just bring someone back from the dead without, well, killing someone, really. Yeah. Or, or without them being like a zombie, like in Practical Magic, you know? Um, that's fine but they're not brought back yeah then they're not really there and and what's so sad about that is that Margaret Mayhew would have really hated that do you know what I mean because she was such a believer in like the balance and and, like faith and science of magic you know but it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like part of the same film yeah I think I think it was added on later because it's more cinematic to have someone come back from the dead than have someone get better that's true, but I think that I wish they had stuck to their guns and had the scene where Laura is standing by an intensive care bed, just willing, and she's like going into now she can read minds because she's a witch, just going into the mind, being like, "Come on, you can come back with me. Look, I've got, I've got your ruggy is what it is in the book. It's just like a bit of blanket that he loves so much. He's three and he just loves his blanket, and she's just like, "Look, it's ruggy, it's me, it's Lolly, it's your sister. Come on," and he does come back, and I that I don't think. The cost is just the struggle of having to go Yeah. Go into that darkness and be like, Oh, you're dying. And that cost gets echoed because like in the epilogue there's this and like Jacko is so young, but like he like there's this moment where she's um they're hugging and and she's kind of making his tea or whatever and she's like, You he just says to her, You came in to get me, Lolly, you came in to get me. Like he he knows like that that act of magic has left like an imprint on his personality and on their dynamic that's going to be echoed for a long time that unfortunately we don't get to see you know I would this is one of these books where I truly would have loved if there was a sequel but there never was hold on a bit longer he said remembering something strange and looking at her face as if he were seeing it almost for the first time that's what you said to me isn't it lolly hold on you said and I did hold on I held on like this he clenched his hands into fists and screwed up his face. I held on, and you come and got me out. Out from where? Laura asked him in a whisper. Out of the dark, he said uncertainly. I didn't like it, Lolly. I held on, didn't I? You held on beautifully, Laura said, and he put his head back against her, nodding to himself, and beginning to suck his thumb again so he did not see her cry a little, head bent in the room full of wine and dancing and music. I think. I mean, I'm crying a bit, it's but just, it's lovely. It's really lovely. And I think the other interesting thing to talk about at the end of this book is that, sorry, and Laura, 
do not really get together because no they i mean they they are like they like he's very much her love. boyfriend in the last chapter and he's like dropping he's part of her life and he's coming to tea and he's all this and they're in and out of those houses but it's about to end and they know it's it very is. clear sorry says that he can't be in a relationship with her because she's too young and they'll end up having sex and uh and that's illegal and he doesn't want to he's like it's illegal for one thing not that that matters and second of all I don't want to cause any more family rows yeah, it's very responsible very so he goes off to work on a bird reserve <laughs> and that's it that's your great romantic ending it's him being like uh, having sex with you is illegal and also I think your mum would be really cross and, uh, and also I'm finishing school sing, and I like birds I'm finishing school and I like birds so uh, not that we should break up but we should put this on hold until you are legal yeah. It's very practical. It's very it's pragmatic. Like, you have three years left of school. I have three years of training. Maybe four if I want to do a master's. <laughs> He's like, uh, maybe four. He's like, but when we get, when I get back, then we can like move in and get married or something. And she's, and like weirdly, she's like initially quite disappointed, but then she's relieved because she's like, I need more time to be Kate's daughter and Jacko's sister because I know this thing is going to engulf me. You know? It's, it's such a, a weird and necessary and important ending to a YA romance. It's so important. Just, I wish I had read it as a teenager because of that thing of, well, he will be your whole world, so don't skip that. Don't skip to it. You've yeah. got too many things. And like, she just thinks about all the things that she's going to do when she's not all consumed by being in love. Oh, it's really, It's really healthy. <laughs> It's very healthy, but again, it's very complicated. It's like the thing where she, where the dad's girlfriend, she sees that the dad's girlfriend had secretly, with a part of her that she didn't even know, wished a tiny bit that a child would die so that her husband would love her more and forgives her. And it's like Kate saying, you can't be everything to me. I needed to have sex with someone. And uh, if my boyfriend hadn't been here, I would have had sex with a stranger. And that's just sometimes what it's like to be a grown up. And sorry, saying, I don't, think that we can be in a relationship at this point because uh, I don't think it's appropriate for either of us and her saying yeah <laughs> you know what you're right when you're right you're right and life is complicated it's People so complicated. extremely brave to do that in a novel like I'd love to know what her publisher said about that ending do you know what I mean because like every other Completely. every other romance like that it's kind of this sense of like and they'll be together forever and it will like absorb and engulf them and like there's kind of no place to go from there either either for a reader or for um the heroine herself do you know what I mean completely and I think it's interesting that they're just like well we can't have sex because uh you're just not ready for that yeah and it's like where can you and she's like I could be and he's like you're not and she's like I know (laughs) (laughs) Which is very much their relationship of her basically being like, I am old enough to do all the things and him being like, are you? And her being like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, of course not. Why would you say that? But they've been through this transformative experience together, i.e. he helped her turn into a witch. He helped her essentially stop being human. Yeah. And she can never go back. Yeah. And she can never go back. Just after she's essentially come out of this prolonged trance state, which is where the changeover happens in this trance state where they kiss very passionately in the trance state. Oh yeah, it's very hot. It's very hot. They're in a trance. He's in a trance. She's in a trance. He's not in a trance, but he's helping her through the trance. Anyway, 
the first thing he says to her after she comes out of this trance and is lying on his bath mat is, I felt the bones in your head move. Oh. And it's that, it's that that binds them together, right? He yeah. felt the bones in her head move. Yeah. Because of something that he had helped, aided and abetted her to do. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he that- has, in one fell swoop, like, destroyed the chances of her having a normal life ever, you know? Yeah. For, and so for he good reasons, her- you know, but still. And he wants to give her some years of being normal. Oh, this book, it just... I'm so interested to see if this theme of forgiving people yeah. carries on through all the books we've chosen for this mini-series. I think it's a I think it's a refreshing theme that I think more and more people are drawn towards because I think we 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 did enter a few years there of sort of like issues books, issues novels, like novels that were basically just about a topical theme just dressed up as a thing with characters, which I think people reject. And I also think uh there's like a kind of a kickback against a sort of a social media thing which is like oh, there's a, nothing is nuanced, everything is black and white, there's only good and evil, do you know what I mean? Like, people are garbage or they're, or they're angels, do you know what I mean? Like, and I think, I think there is a, a kind of an ideological kickback to, uh, at that, and I feel like it's very present in me. Yeah, I don't know about the sort of, I can't, I, I've, being less on social media and particularly trying to stay very far away from people talking about art on social media. Yeah. I just don't think it's very helpful for me personally. No, I um, agree. Also, my flatmate changed all my passwords, so I couldn't even if I wanted to. <laughs> You're um, on Instagram, but it's just like food and dogs, isn't it? So it's fine. Food, dogs, pictures of poems. Lovely. Uh, at this point in time, a lot of pictures of cookies. You want to make the cookies from Midnight Chicken? Send me a picture. I'll put it in my highlights. <laughs> um, that's mainly my uh, occupation at the moment, looking at pictures of cookies. It's very nice. Um, yeah, but... I think at this time particularly, what I am finding is that the books I want to read, these comfort books, are not books where nothing bad happens. They're not the kind of straightforward romances I've talked about before on this podcast. Mm -hmm. They are books where frequently terrible things happen, but there is a a fundamental kindness in the way those terrible things happen and a fundamental kindness towards everybody, even the villains, even the complex, everybody is complex. Everybody is rich. Your villains have kind impulses and strangely caring impulses, or they just have their own reasons and motivations that stand up to examination. Yeah. Yeah, even if they're not some things that you would do, they are things nonetheless that this person has done and, and like, you see what, you know? And I think it makes... And because they... The, because these books are able to embrace characters heroes who have done things that are difficult or tricky or said things that are mean or snippy and forgiven them because the times are so hard I think it makes it easier and I want to avoid generalizing too much but I think it makes it easier in this time when so much is so difficult and weird and strange to be kind of gentle with yourself and to be gentle with the people around you and to look at it all as if it's part of a larger picture which of course everything always is yeah that's very beautiful, I think. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> um, okay. Do we have any parting thoughts on the changeover? It's already been made into a film, so we have 
Now I no would cast it the same again. Yeah. Would cast okay. it the same again. I'm going to ask you this. What do you want for everybody in the changeover? I want Laura. I want Kate and Chris to get married. Yeah, good. I don't want them to have any more kids. I want Jacko to be as unpsychologically scarred as possible, but I think he's always going to have a bit of a line across his psyche. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think I know. You know, I just what? Oh, you know, I don't want what. I really don't want Laura to go and have to live in the Carlisle house. Oh, I yeah. thought I did, but actually, what I want is for maybe when she's like 40 but I want Sorry to go off on his bird reserve and then I want him and Laura to get a little camper van wow it turns out oh, I really wow, clear you are specific yeah yeah I want them in like four years time to just have a little like VW and go driving around all the green hills in New Zealand maybe they go to Australia for a bit oh. maybe they go to like the Pacific Islands to look at birds yeah I such. think it's important that they don't have too tight a, a connection with the Carlisles because they but are I want selfish them. and weird, <laughs> and lovely, but selfish and weird. But I want Laura to be able to have her own life. I, I want Laura to be able to do things that aren't just for the services of the witches and the services of the Carlisles. I want her to be like, this is what I enjoy. Also, I want her to find something that she likes. Do you know what I think she wants to? Do, she's going to do. I think she is going to be a primary school teacher. I think she just loves kids so much, and she loves being around kids, and she loves that sort of purity. I can genu- and like I can just see her like being a really great primary school teacher that people like really remember. Not and like then- babies though, like year five. Yeah, no, like sensible, sensible seven-year-olds like, and eight-year-olds, you know. I was going for eight to twelve, Fine. in that range, you know. Yeah, and like great. and like having having kids of her own, pretty young, but like never regretting it at all, and just being like, yeah, I just wanted them, so I had them, you know. And liking them, you know, yeah. you know, when you meet those people who just really like their kids. Yeah, like some people. They're some my people, people are having a some people are having a hard time with their kids. You know those people who just really like their kids. I had lunch with a friend just before we stopped being allowed to ever have lunch with our friends again, and she was talking to her baby, and she was like, oh, "I just really like her. I think she's really fun. She's great. I love that. I which love sounds, those people." Which, good, well done. It's so nice that you like your baby, but I think Laura would really like her babies. Yeah. And I, I can imagine it being like this constant like argument between her and Sarenson because he's like, I'll never be able... Because the thing about Sari is that he's convinced he's not able to do good things or feel good things despite the fact he's always doing good things and feeling good things. Do you know what I mean? He's like, he's like, he's that typical man who thinks he's much more like psychologically fucked up than he is. Oh my God. Oh my God. So many thoughts on this. So many of them inappropriate for radio. Um, but yeah. 100% it's like I'm actually very damaged he's like, like no, uh, not. I'm not going to be able to love any kids that we have if we have kids just so you know and then lo and behold he loves kids I just yeah sorry sorry his name is sorry 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 but we have to go now sorry but it's time to go sorry listeners it's time to wrap up Bye. maybe they're glad maybe they're Bye. glad maybe this has gone on too long <laughs> I guess we'll never know This has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Dave for the logo, and Acast for the recording space.
mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com